And so in the middle of London is this uh, church that's like, old school. I mean, you think about this. Nothing is really old here in America. All right. If you don't have statues of like people who were knighted in your church, it doesn't count over here. All right. We barely, this is a very modern church. Right. But it's amazing because in this old church, the spirit of God is moving in a powerful way. And so I always made it a point that I would fly out on Saturday night. I would take the red eye over. I'd pop a Benadryl, get a little bit of sleep, and then I'd land and I would go get a to eat and I would go to this service at night. Now here's one of the things that you have to know. Uh, what they're doing over there in some ways is what the vision is for here. They are uh, years ahead of us when it comes to post-Christian or even they're moving into a pre-Christian world and the Spirit of God is moving in a powerful way. And so what we're trying to do here is really, I, was, I learned in a lot of ways from there. And so whenever I was there, I would always go up for prayer. All right, Prayer is central to this church, all right? I'm going to put this. We just finished the prayer room after two years of working on it. If you go across, there's a prayer room that will be open uh, to uh, Monday through Thursday all day if you want it, just to spend some time with it, all right? Because it's central within this. And I was so hungry to hear from the Lord every time that I would be in central London that a mentor told me, whenever you travel to another church, go up for prayer, all right? And so every time I would go up for prayer. And in and a lot of times it was really nice and it was good and all this stuff. But one time I went up for prayer and the guy was praying over me. Think of any British guy that you could think of. I think he probably had bad teeth and was wearing a tweed jacket. Think of that, all right? And so he's, he's laying his hands on me and he's praying and everything's great. Sounds perfectly fine. And he gets done. He says, I want you to discern something. Do you have somebody to discern with? I said, yeah, I do. And he said, I feel like you're supposed to go help your church. And I sit at that moment, and have you ever gotten a word from the Lord like that? You get this tingling feeling in you. Your, your, your heart starts to race. You start to think, all right, Lord, what is happening here? And fast forward three years later, here I am. And, and let me say this. The last three years have been some of the hardest years of my wife and I's life, all right? He, he, he called us to something that we probably thought were impossible. And at the moment when I'm getting prayed over and I get this word, I'm at the height of the mountain and then I get into the dirt. Do you ever feel that, right? When you get a word from the Lord or you hear from the Lord and it's like, all right, Lord, you're going to move or Lord, I, I get direction or I get clarity or I get discernment or I get peace or whatever it is. You're at the height of it. Yeah. And then you have to go back to the dirt. And in the dirt is messiness. And in the dirt is people's agendas and the enemy's schemes to mess this all up, right? There's faith moment after faith moment where you have to believe that God is going to come through. And when you're in the dirt, you want to abort the mission at all costs. Does anybody feel that? When you're in the messy middle, when the enemy is screaming and pushing back on you, it's like you want that height of that moment where you heard from the Lord. You want the height of that moment where you got insane clarity. And then you find yourself in the messy middle. And in the messy middle is when everything starts to go wrong, right? I want to talk about what happens when you're in the dirt. 
I want to talk because I believe that the Lord is moving significantly in people's lives in this church. And so the Lord's going to move and then you're going to get into the dirt and then you've got to find the perseverance and you have to find the grit and you have to know what to do when you're in the dirt. We are in a sermon series called Church After God's Own Heart. We're looking at the life of David. And so as we look at the life of David, we see that he has been anointed king He's secretly been anointed king, right? Samuel came and anointed him king. And he has this, this promise. And, and then he's going to be king, but Saul is still king. And so we find David on the run because Saul wants to kill him, all right? And so he's with some of the men that we talked about last week. And he is, uh, it, 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 we're going to pick it up at 1 Samuel 30, all right? David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now, where's Ziklag, all right? Ziklag actually is important to the story. David has recently acquired this city. He has taken over this city, and he has decided to make this place the base of operations, okay? So he has taken this city, and he has made it where he's going to store all his goods, including his wife and his kids and all of the men's wives and kids. So all the families are in this city. All right, let's keep reading. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and, the, and Ziklag and had attacked Ziklag and burnt it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they were on their way. When David and his men reached Ziglag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. All right. So David has left Ziklag and he's going to go fight the Philistines again. All right. He's going to have victory because if we remember, David is having victory after victory after victory. And so he he's going to fight the Philistines. And there are these people group, the, the Malachites, and they are nomadic people. They roam around and they have repeatedly attacked the Israelites since the, the Israelites have left Egypt in the Exodus. And they attack and burn down David's recently acquired city and they burn the place down and they take all the inhabitants now could you imagine a more horrific scene could you imagine a more horrific scene for David and his men? They come from back from battle and they had just set everything up and their city's completely burnt and their wives and their sons and their daughters are all kidnapped. And I guarantee in that moment all of their minds are racing, okay? David and the men, all of their minds are racing. And what we see is that they had just come back from another victory. They're on the top of the mountain. They're no doubt elated. They're no doubt relieved. They're ready to see their, their family and then complete rubble. And the thought has to come to their mind. Both David and the men must have had this, this thought because this is what probably would have happened. One, uh, they were they, all their wives and their sons and their daughters were going to be used as bargaining chips. There was going to be a hostage situation that was going to have to happen. They were going to go back and forth on what to do with these men and women. Or two, 
They were going to become the slaves of the Amalekites. They were going to serve the Amalekites and they would stay with them. Or three, which would have been worse, they would go on the slave market and they would be sold and separated. And then you've got to find all the women and children. This is what was probably going to happen. These are all things that were real possibilities with the situation that they found when they had just slaughtered the Philistines and they show up at Ziklag and it's just blowing their mind. And so we see the men react in a natural way. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured. Aninahim of Jezreel and Abigail the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And so obviously... Not knowing if they, if, they, if they were alive, right? Not knowing what happened to them. David and his men are heartbroken. This is an obvious statement, all right? And now this is one more story where we see David, again, has been anointed king. He has this promise, right? And in this promise is the height of the mountain. And since that, probably David's life has gotten harder and harder. Does anybody ever feel that, right? There's a Lord's promise or there's a confirmation or there's... Something that's moving forward and you feel it moving forward. You, you know the promises. You trust the Lord. And then you're like, one more thing. He's ready to step into his calling. He's ready to step into king. He's ready to step into his destiny. And yet we see that life gets harder and harder. And in this moment, he finds himself at the end. He, he finds himself weeping. And it says this. It's one of those moments where he's weeped so deeply and he's weeped so long that he says, what did you remember? It says, he had no more strength. When you weep and you lament and you have no strength left, have you been there before? Amen. Many of us have been there before. And David's whole family, when he was there when they left for battle, he comes back and now he finds himself at the bottom of the valley. And the questioning and the thoughts and the feelings that he must have been experiencing are stuff that we probably in this lifetime won't ever experience, all right? So he's at the bottom of the valley, but so are the men that are with him because they're experiencing the same thoughts and the same feelings. Can you imagine this moment? Now, in these moments, there are a variety of ways that you and I can respond. There are a variety of ways that David could respond, and, and, and there's a variety of ways that the men could respond. And what we see is that David and the men actually respond differently. And there's a contrast to the way that they respond. And we can learn from each, all right? So let's read in here. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. Again, in the midst of their grief, they probably was speculation. What are going to happen to the people that we love the most, right? And so their grief, obviously, they grieve until they can't grieve any longer. And now they enter into this bitterness that turns to anger. And I'll tell you what, I can actually have some grace on these guys. Can you? Because that's how I would have felt in that moment as well. An evil has happened. It's clear with their eyes they can see. Their families are gone. Their cities burned. An evil has happened. And so often when something happens like that to us, someone does something or evil happens to us, the first question comes to mind, who can
can I blame? Am I right? Who's at fault for this moment? Because my life is completely ruined. My life is completely wrecked. I need to blame someone. Look, many of you probably in your, put yourself in those shoes and you have every right to be angry, right? You can see it. You can see every right to be angry. And what we see is that throughout the scriptures, anger against injustice is actually right. Isn't that kind of interesting? Like that feeling that they're having, there's an injustice that's happened and there's an anger that rolls out. And we see this, right? We see God's anger throughout the scriptures at injustice. Something's happened to my people. Something's happened to people that I love. And there's an anger because the injustice, the evil that took place is there. Now, we also have to see this. We know that God is wise, right? We know that God is sovereign. We know that he's perfect. We know that he's all-knowing, that he never misinterprets situations, and he never loses control. Am I right? Amen. He knows where to put the anger against the sin and the injustice itself. He knows where to put his anger. He takes his anger and he puts it on the evil that has happened. Now, us humans, on the other hand, we have a tendency to not do that. All right? We have a tendency to misinterpret circumstances. We can make mistakes or, or have judgments that really are not what's going on. Have you ever found yourself in that place as well? Right? We react quickly when we feel threatened or hurt. And our actions, when we do that, oftentimes can be harmful and dangerous. Am I preaching to myself in this room, all right? It's how, the, how we operate, all right? And throughout the scriptures, we see that's why God lays out for us that our anger... Should be, we should be cautious in our anger, right? We should not act out of our anger. It, it's okay to feel the anger. It's okay to see that evil happen. There's injustice or sin that's happening. And anger is going to naturally rise up in us, but we cannot act out of it, okay? Because oftentimes it's misguided and sinful. Let's, let's look at this. Proverbs 16.32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit, then he who takes a city. Look, the, the Proverbs laying it out. This is, this is really hard. What these men are experiencing there at Ziklag is very, very hard. It is it's actually harder for us to control or overcome our passions than it is to go fight a battle and take a city. That's what this Proverbs is saying. So they're experiencing because they had just taken over a city and now they're ready to take care of their own emotions. This is powerful, all right? And we see these men are grieved and they're bitter and now they turn it into anger and they picked up rocks and they're ready to stone David. They're ready to take their leader and stone him to death. That's where they put their anger. But we see David takes another path. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Look, we see David was obviously distressed. He was experiencing everything that these other men had experienced. But we see that he takes a little different path. And we see that he does not let the situation master him. All right. When things happen to us, when we experience things, we cannot let the situation master us. That's what the proverb just said. We don't let it master us. 
You see, we're supposed to, he was supposed to be the one that's protecting the people. He's the one that the, was the most responsible for this tragedy. And the men are ready to stone him. And he's like, I can't let this moment master me. Look, I'm sure David felt anger. And he rightfully puts it in the right place. Look, if it was impossible for us to overcome our anger... Right? If it was impossible for us to overcome our anger, God would not have told us that we can do it. Can I get an amen? If he would not, if it was impossible, God would not have told us that this is what it is. So when we experience anger in moments of intense distress, we see David shows us what to do. And we see that he slows down to control it. He doesn't let it control him. Whenever a situation happens to you, whenever there's challenges in your life, when you walk into a Ziklag situation, you've got to slow it down and not let it control you, okay? When these feelings come, in the middle of it, you have to stop and you have to replace bitterness and wrath and anger, all those feelings that are coming up at you. And you have to turn the into strength in the Lord, Okay? You have to move past all the feelings of anger and bitterness and rage that are coming at you. And you have to move into strength in the Lord. This is one of the greatest lessons that the Lord has for you. I have found it all the time. One of the most challenging things is that we talk up here all the time about sin, right? And there's these sins that you can do that are just actively you're choosing to do them. But then there's these other things that you do, right? Where you, uh, you not just choose to do them, but they just naturally happen within your gut. Do you know what I'm saying? And when those things happen, when you feel angry, when you feel passion that you, uh, that you can't control, you have to slow down and you have to control it. Amen. You have to quiet the weighing issues on your mind. Instead of gushing forth, you have to slow them down. You have to resist when those feelings come up. Now, David was experiencing these feelings. And what is he doing with them? Number one, he operates instead out of self-control. He doesn't let the anger come, but instead he chooses self-control. When bitterness and anger rises up in you, it's so easily give away to those feelings, but you have to control those feelings. You have, you, if you don't, you'll make bad choices. You just will, all right? You have to, you have to operate out of self-control here because you can't move past and operate out of blinding bitterness. You can't, all right? You, you can't operate out of all the passion and all the frustration and rage that you're feeling, you have to instead focus on self-control. Number two, he operates out of his spiritual maturity. In Galatians 5, we know that self-control is, is listed as a fruit of the Spirit. As we grow in maturity, the fruits of the Spirit increase in us. When we're led not by our feelings, but by the Holy Spirit, we see a decline in the strife that we're experiencing. We see a decline in the outbursts of anger that we're experiencing. We then instead operate out of the maturity that's growing out of us, all right? And when we do that, we now operate out of patience, we operate out, operate out of trust, and we operate out of self-control. And then we see that he operates not in God's speed, in God's speed, but not his seed. David slows down his reaction. 
Look, he's going to respond. He's going to act. That's the thing you cannot misread in this. He just knows that he has to slow down. He has to be strengthened in the Lord, not his own feelings. Now, when he does these things, what do we see? Number four, he moves from the angry mindset and he avoids the angry mindset. In a time when he thinks everything is going wrong, he could so easily accept the negative uh, mindset, but instead he focuses on the Lord, not the circumstance. Whenever you're faced with situations like your ziklag moment, you focus on the Lord, not on the circumstances. He doesn't wallow in his anger. He doesn't find comfort in his bitterness. He doesn't operate out of his hostility. He chases the Lord and he praises him. The men picked up stones and rocks to stone him to death and he says, I need to instead be strengthened in the Lord. David strengthened himself in the Lord. And when he did that, we see this. He listens to the Lord for his victory. If he acted out of his anger, that doesn't mean that he would have necessarily got his victory. Instead, he listens to the Lord for his victory. He's slowed down. He's operating out of his spiritual maturity. He's operating out of God's timing, not his timing. And he goes to strengthen the Lord. He's going to listen to the Lord and hear, right? 1 Samuel 37-8, Then David said to Abethar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Abathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding art party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. One of the reasons that David found strength in, in God is that David had the freedom to communicate with God. He, he's operating out of his spiritual maturity here. He's not operating out of his, out of his anger, right? Um, most men, myself included, would have gone to go after the Amalekites and taken our, our women and children back right away, right? But he says, you know what? I have to slow this down. I have to make sure that the Lord's in it. I have to have confirmation to move forward. Look, he couldn't get help from the Philistines. He couldn't get help from the Israelite army. Saul had control. And so he inquired of the Lord. And in that moment of slowing down, of operating out of self-control, by listening, he has assurance of his victory. And he's able to do this. Instead of acting out of anger, he now acts out of courage. And when you act out of anger, you're not courageous at all. You're a raging mess that's moving forward, right? But when he slowed down, he's able to work out of his spiritual maturity. He's able to avoid the, the, the anger mindset. He's able to now act out of courage instead of just acting out of the angry mindset. And so he pursues the Amalekites and he gets his people back. Now, it's really interesting because this story, there's a parallel story that goes along with this. And we can learn as much in the parallel story as we can. The other one, Saul, who was chasing after David to kill him, is having an exact same experience. He's about to face battle and he's scared out of his mind. And we'll look at, the, and so he seeks guidance like David, but we see differences with him. 1 Samuel 28.3, Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. 
Saul had expelled the Medians and the Spiritists from the land. So Samuel is dead. Samuel is the one that Saul had been communicating with God. If you remember, we talked about this before. Saul had said, look, Samuel, it's your God. He didn't say my God. I need to hear from your God. I want to praise your God, not my God. And so Saul has always been distanced in this relationship, all right? And now Samuel is dead, all right? And so Saul had made a commendable effort. He's like, I'm getting all the, he's following the Torah, and he's like, I'm getting all the mediums out of here. I'm getting all the spiritists, those who speak to the dead, those who speak to spirits. They're getting them completely out of them. But we see this. The Philistines assembled and came up and set up camp at Shunem while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. Then Saul saw the Philistine army. He was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Saul is so afraid of the battle that he's about to face. His heart trembled so greatly that he finds himself exactly where David is. But what we see is that Saul's continual disobedience is unlike David, right? He, he had left the, the complete confidence in the presence of the Lord, all right? And so we see this over and over again. He's chasing after David. If there's a story that we didn't focus, but Saul goes and kills all the priests at Nob. And, and Samuel, the prophet, said, you're not going to be the king anymore. And so there's always these things, so the prophets aren't going to show up. And we see that his kingdom is over now, I want to point out, whenever we share these stories, it's not one for one. One thing I don't want to do is take a story from the Hebrew Scriptures and be like, okay, we can extract exactly from there. There's a lot going on with Saul's, with Saul's story, all right? So it's not one for one. But we can see how we're supposed to live within it. Because there's a trend in our lives that I see. There's a trend in the church's life that I see, all right? When things go wrong in our lives... We haven't done anything to remain in Christ. And yet we so desperately, when things go wrong, we come running. And it's like we treat God like a genie in the bottle. Like I just want to rub it and will you just take care of it, Lord, right? And there's so much spiritual maturity when you hit the dust, when you hit the dirt, when you have a zigzag moment where everything's going wrong. There's so much spiritual maturity that needs to take place. And when we need clarity... We go to God and we don't have patience even within that. Does that make sense? Yeah. There are things that Megan and I have prayed for. There are things that I've prayed for for this church. There are things that I need God to move in desperately. And I have all the confidence in the world that He has. But my one prayer, and He didn't answer, and now I don't have any faith in that. I'm going to go look elsewhere. That's even within the church we see that trend that's happening. Hearing from the Lord takes relationship. David has relationship. He understands how this operates. It's a lifestyle of closeness with Jesus. John 14. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you i will not leave you as orphans i will come to you this is the promise right this is the closeness now how do we get that closeness 
John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Look, these verses are going to say, apart from God, you can do nothing. Look, I don't want to discourage you here. I, God has shown up with mercy in my prayerlessness. God will show up in, with mercy. I, I'm not saying that there's like a secret sauce to it, but we are called us to remain in Him. David was remained in God, right? He is the vine. We are the branches. We cannot do anything apart from Him. But so often our lack of devotion or our lack of prayerlessness shows up. And when we need God in our moments, we don't even know how to get reconnected. He gives us the grace. We can repent from it and get reconnected quickly. But when we're divided, when we're not remaining in Him, then the fruit isn't there, right? David lived a life of remaining, a lifestyle of closeness with God. So he knew God's voice. This is how we know God's voice when we're listening to Him. It's when we're connected. And when we're connected, we can act courageously. I guarantee if you're operating out of your own passions, if you're operating out of your anger, if you're operating out of all the stuff that's happened to you, you are not acting courageously. You're actually acting foolishly. But when we remain in Christ, when things happen to us, when we're in such a closeness with the Father, when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, when we hear His voice, when we get His wisdom and His promises for every situation, for every circumstance that we get, we know His voice and we can act courageously. Now, the other thing that we see, though, is that Saul doesn't get this word, and so he does this. Saul then said to his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. There was one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes, and at night he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I named. So this story gets wild after that. He's going to call up Samuel and keep reading it. But Saul, out of his desperation, out of not abiding, not being deeply abided, he goes against the Lord. He actually sneaks past the Philistine army, and he goes to a medium, and he goes to speak to Samuel's spirit. It's a crazy story. Look, Saul, instead of repenting of his sins, and instead of, instead of having a closeness with God, we see that he goes, and he goes to the worldly advice, right? He's going to the medium. One of the things that I see so often is that uh, people have a, a, um, a situation or something that they need to hear from the Lord, and it's like the genie in the bottle, like I said, and if that doesn't happen, they go so quickly to the world's advice, right? They go so quickly to the advice from outside, outside the church, outside of God, outside of uh, uh, the word, outside of a prayer, and we see that that goes so wrong, so often. I'll have the band come up. I think there's huge power to this word 
And it's one of the hardest words. This is like, if I didn't preach to anybody, I preached to myself. I am a man that is led by my gut. I am a man that's led by passion. I think you all feel that. I'm a man that when something goes wrong, I'm ready to take that hill. Is there anybody else that's with me? And I found in my time leading this church, I found my time in leading my family, I found this time of spiritual maturity, that self-control and spiritual maturity and strengthening myself in the Lord in the middle of it is the greatest gift that the Lord has ever given me. I have made less mistakes doing this than operating out of my path, out of my passion. When I have something that comes my way, when things, uh, the people's egos or, or the enemy is trying to destroy something that God's trying to move, I slow myself down and I wait on the Lord and I strengthen myself in the Lord and I say, Lord, what do you have for me in this situation? Not what do I have in my own uh, thoughts and my own doings. And the Lord meets me and sometimes he tells me to wait. Sometimes he gives me instructions. Sometimes he gives me discernment. Sometimes he gives me clarity. Sometimes it's right away. And sometimes I have to put it on a shelf and I have to trust the Lord in it. But strengthening yourself in God when these things happen is one of the most powerful things that you can do. The enemy has the upper hand when you have a Ziklag type situation. Your passions and your desires and your anger is going to come up hot and heavy. And the enemy is going to take that and he's going to destroy it even more. Like the men that are picking up stones to stone David. But if you can slow yourself down, if you can get clarity, if you can lean on the Lord even more, He will never let you down. But you have to listen to Him. Difficult situations are going to come your way. Like I preached this yesterday, last week, but I wish I could take it away from, from all you. All the things that you're going through, I wish I could just take them away from you. When you get into the dirt, when you try to move stuff forward, when you contend for your family, when you fight for your family, when the Lord starts to put new ministries on your heart or the Lord asks you to do something that seems crazy, you're going to get into the dirt and it's going to get harder before it gets better. And your only thing you can do is be like David, where it got harder and harder even after the promise and strengthen yourself in the Lord. When we operate on a self-control and maturity and trust, when we pause to listen, to ensure our victory, not act down the way we think we should do, we'll see the Lord move in profound ways. Go ahead and stand up. We'll go have the band come up. Let me pray for each one of you. Heavenly Father, I know in a room like this, I don't even know what burdens people are carrying or the challenges that they have. But we know that you are faithful, that you are good. And Lord, the greatest gift that you've given us is the ability to strengthen ourselves in, in you. To not operate out of what we think is best, but to hear from you, to hear your voice, to seek you deeply. So Lord, I pray for each person that's experiencing a pain or a sorrow or a challenge in their life. 
Lord, would you teach us as a body to not run in the direction that we think is best, but to wait and hear for you, from you so that we can be assured our victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together.